Welcome to What's Left to Do. I'm your host, Janelle. This week, we're doing something a little different. We're starting off with a bonus episode from my interview with the Claire Lau. This episode takes us through her family's experience living through the history of 20th century China and the Communist Revolution. Ooh. to do your intro do you know what a hype man is claire uh kind of yeah sure okay i'm gonna need you to be your own hype man as <laughs> i introduce you i'm gonna i'm gonna give a little little intro and then you're gonna say like yeah or something we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna make I'm horrible this horrible with being <laughs> my own hype man but <laughs> we're, gonna, we're, we're gonna make this urban <clears throat> well i don't know uh if you feel like you won the lottery today because you did because <clears throat> today's guest, some just call her Claire, the people who call her that without appending Captain Claire. Ooh. <laughs> Campaign Claire. Whoa. <laughs> I asked Claire to be a hype man, and that's a ooh. Whoa. <laughs> Captain Claire. Campaign Claire. Head comrade Claire. I'm giving you notes. I'm giving you instructions. Leave out this door and go talk to your community, Claire. <clears throat> None other than the the Claire. I don't even I don't even know if I have um, words in the English language to um, heap upon you. <clears throat> but Claire, everyone, say hi to the people, Claire. Hey, everybody! <laughs> I'm a horrible hype man for myself. <laughs> <laughs> she tried. I mean, I mean, bless her heart. She really did try. Uh, <laughs> if if you are one of the twenty, what's left to do? <laughs> faithful, you have pro- the odds that you have met and interacted with Claire are ninety seven percent. She is. I don't know. What are the words? You you are the consummate campaign manager community organizer um and i am i'm thrilled to be sitting down uh and talking with you to learn more about your life and what you see and how you understand things politically right now since you're at this point you're like an insider and not in a gross way not like a nancy Pelosi or nancy Pelosi insider <laughs> like not a piece of shit but like you know one that you know we can trust and listen to so i'm just pleased as punch to be on top of your roof today and getting some natural vitamin d a little bit of human interaction my fupa is sweating underneath <laughs> these goddamn yoga pants but um i'm gonna stop babbling now how are you i'm all right yeah yeah, it's uh it's been kind of a weird few weeks, weird month mm-hmm. um and also just like personally um in a slightly challenging time for me as well. Sure. Um my grandma passed away around oh. 2 weeks ago. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um and uh, it's been it's been like quite complex for me emotionally because mm. um, uh, 
I have, you know, a lot of feelings about my grandmother. Sure. Um, I've actually been writing a graphic novel on her life story as mm-hmm. well as mine and mm-hmm. how it relates to, like, Hong Kong and China. Mm. Um, and uh, so I spent the past two weeks, like, rushing a little, uh, like, uh, excerpt or a brief, brief memoir that could be printed for her funeral wow um and uh so it you know taking some excerpts from my graphic novel and then um you know choosing the parts that are more appropriate for the setting of you know a, a funeral sure sure um so i just finished the last round of edits right before you got here this morning which is why i was like when you said you were running late i was like great like i'm still in my pajamas right now like i haven't had breakfast yet so i'm glad glad that my tardiness didn't didn't throw a throw a wrench in your day what how old was she when she passed she was 90 so she she lived a really long life Mm -hmm. um so she Maybe it's appropriate for me to get into her life a little Please. bit. Um, so she was born in 1930, mm. um, went to school for three days before the Japanese invaded whoa, during whoa, whoa. Seven, Second World War. Yeah, yeah. Um, she, so she, you know, only ever went to school for three days, um, but then she basically taught herself how to read and write. Wow. Um, and ended up, you know, marrying my grandfather. Um, they were in China, in mainland, uh, in mainland China, in um, uh, Guangzhou, yep. um, and they were, you know, th- you know, it was under Mao at that time. Mm-hmm. So, um, kind of living off of uh, government rations wasn't enough, mm-hmm. and they had like a lot of mouths to feed. Mm-hmm. She actually uh, had given birth to already five kids, Hi, yeah, um, but t- her first two. I think her first son died very quickly as a child, mm. and then the second son—I uh, may have maybe mixing up the first and second—but I think the second son was the one who um, they were selling secondhand goods to like try to kind of um, make ends meet, and, like sure. supplement to just uh, be able to have more of uh, income to pay for food. Um, and they were my grandma thinks that. Uh, because they were using, they were collecting like secondhand cloth and clothing that mm-hmm. there were some um, like bacteria or mm. something uh, that infected uh, their son. Mm. And so he, he actually ended up being completely paralyzed. Oh, wow. um, but anyway, the government um, wanted to basically merge their private business uh, with the you know, with the state. Um, and they were, were concerned about that. She kind of, she has all these stories about how she like negotiated with the communist party secretary to, so she to, wasn't a member of the party. No, she was, um, was she Kuomintang? Kum, oh God, no, she was just a, a regular, regular person. Okay. Um, but she had a to, private business pre, pre revolution. Uh, no, that would be after, she um, was allowed to set up her own enterprise after the revolution. I mean, that's what they wanted. So at first, like people had their own people had uh, th- their own businesses for for a while, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I think in the fifties they basically started uh, collectivizing everything. Mm-hmm. So it was at that time I that see. they were you know wanting to um, 
collectivize things. And for her, she th- there were several steps you could take. Mm-hmm. You could turn it to a co-op, mm-hmm. and that was like kind of the first um, step you could take. But the greatest honor is for the government to, um, you know. To, to, to merge with the government, basically, merge your business with the government. Um, and she really didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, she managed to, like, turn hers into a co-op and delay and then basically planned the entire family's escape to uh, Hong Kong. Because uh. she wasn't fucking with the communists. Yes. Okay. Um, and uh, basically planned the escape over, like, around a two-year period, I think, where, oh, like, wow. my grandfather went down with their oldest daughter. My aunt, she pretended to lose contact with my grandfather where people were asking, where is he, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. She kind of like, I don't know, you tell me. Right. Um, and <laughs> then, um, and people were kind of going after her. And then she came down with my mom when my mom was still a tiny toddler, mm-hmm. probably around one year old. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, and her aunt brought my second aunt, or like the- Your the, mother's sister. Yeah, yeah, my mother's uh, sister. So she left behind her parents and her siblings in mainland and was like, I gotta get it, I gotta get out of here, I gotta get to Hong, to Hong Kong. So she, she actually, my grandmother had to start working, started working when she was 10 years old mm-hmm. um, because her, her mother was not in very good health and she basically had to help raise all of her siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, at the age of 10, was sweeping up um chewed up uh sugar canes mm-hmm. that people would like spit out yeah. um and selling it f- as f- uh, fire starters for stoves wow um so you know she she grew up in like complete poverty yeah, you know yeah, dirt yeah, poor yeah. um and she really worked you know send the family down to hong kong um they eventually she and my grandpa started a ship breaking business in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Where wait, wait, wait. How did they actually get there? Because I've heard other friends of mine who are Hong Kong Chinese in their stories of their parents or their grandparents and like some of them stowed away in ships to get there. Yeah. Some of them. Uh, yep. Well, that's like two of the stories I can think of. So how did yeah. they get over? So for my grandmother, I don't really know exactly how my grandpa came down, but for her, so she came down with my mom mm-hmm. Um and she got um, a ticket to Macau, mm-hmm. and this was like I think fifty eight, like right before the, the great, really yeah, up, yeah, yeah, the Great Leap Forward, and where like the millions of people starved to death. Yeah. Um, but um, she went, uh, got a ticket to Macau. Um, she described uh, like having um, inspectors come on board, and she actually hid like gold um mm. she made uh gold into like a belt and like mm. had it uh kind of wrapped in clo- cloth you know around oh, wow. her waist mm. um and inspectors came on board the ship and she immediately pretended to breastfeed my mom uh-huh. uh so that she wouldn't get yeah. bothered and so exactly so uh she, she did not get inspected yeah. um and then um when they got to Macau, she gave my mom to uh, like a, a distance family relative, mm-hmm. uh, this elderly lady um, who was a Macau citizen. Mm-hmm. And so she could uh, go to Hong Kong legally. Mm-hmm. And she's saying that it costs like 
five hundred dollars to go to, from Macau to Hong Kong mm-hmm. uh, through like the proper um, boats, mm-hmm. um, and it still wouldn't guarantee entry because it's up to the Hong Kong immigration. Yeah, she'd say like we had a family friend who is Shanghainese and like they got she got turned back you know at the border um so herself she got into a cargo ship into the basement of uh-huh. the cargo ship and like basically was smuggled mm. illegally uh through and that was a, a lot cheaper it was like a hundred something hong kong sure. dollars sure. at that time um and uh she said, like, everybody was vomiting in the oh. <laughs> in the cargo. Probably the noxious fumes. They were probably making people sick. Yeah. yeah. Um, but she was, she's like, I was fine. Everybody <laughs> else was vomiting, you know. Um, so, and then, then they had, like, in the middle of the ocean, they had to, like, switch boats. And uh, they had to basically switch into, like, smaller speed boats. And they, like, divvied up people. It was mm. a whole operation. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Like, divvied up people. Like, you're going to, like, Sham Shui Po. You're going to, you know, this and that. And um, when she got to Hong Kong, at first she tried to get into a taxi to go to the street where she was supposed to go to, but the taxi couldn't find mm. the street because it didn't really exist. Like, it oh. wasn't actually a road. Oh. <laughs> so she had to, like, go to, like, a family friend who to ask them to take her there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on, she, you know, met up with the lady that brought my mom over. Mm. and Got your uh, mom back. Yeah, got, got my mom back. And so then reunited with her husband. Yeah. Grandpa. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. And then once they um, started running their own shipbreaking business, um, they was basically were taking apart like old retired ships and selling parts. Um, and she was especially selling um, like pipes, a lot of pipes from the ships. Mm-hmm. Um, and she basically ended up running the business mm-hmm. because um, later on my grandpa's health was not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so think about like, you know, in... Chinese culture, women in shipbreaking business, you know, run, being the boss right, lady right. is like very, very rare. <laughs> yeah. So your mom was a communist China fleeing girl boss in Hong Kong <laughs> in a shipbreaking business. Oh, yeah. My grandma. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of fun. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so anyway, after she broke the mold, she definitely yeah, did. She yeah. definitely Trailblazer. Um, so. Yeah, just after she... So I had been writing a story about her and uh, kind of related to Hong Kong-China politics today mm-hmm. and, and, like, from my own perspective. Um, and so after she passed away, you know, I had a lot of complex emotions. Can, um, can you explain some of the complex emotions? Yeah, so, of course, I'm, like, really sad. Um, I went back last... Oh, two years ago, two Octobers ago, mm-hmm. like twenty October 2019, she had a stroke. Mm-hmm. And I was working on the Bernie campaign sure. already at that time. I, at first, was very nervous about asking for time off because, sure. you know, in order to go to Hong Kong, it's right. like a, you know, 16-hour flight. I'd have to go for a significant, significant amount of time to make it worth it. it. Yeah. I did end up, like, uh, going back... Um, and I'm really glad I did. Of course. Um, because then, you know, after the campaign, COVID hit. Yeah. And I wasn't able to go back. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. I, I didn't get to, you know, see her again. You know, I'm, 
very much in tune with the left here, sure. and I've been seeing like uh, very a... much in tune. Like I'm very much she in the center of it. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Um, <clears throat> I've been seeing a lot of groups all over different parts of California <clears throat> reading Mao. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely very triggering for me. Uh-huh. Um, as, and I found that I, w- I wasn't the only one. Like, no, uh, I've, you know, met other Asians in politics who are like, oh my gosh, that's really offensive. Mm. Uh, here I have my American leftist friends <laughs> who are like, American capitalism is horrible. You know, Mao is great. Mm-hmm. And then I have my fellow Hong Kongers uh-huh. who are activists, uh-huh. and not all of them, but a lot of a, them. A, a portion, a good portion of them are like, uh, you know, Chinese communism is horrible, mm. and right now it's not even communism. Right. Uh, you know, Trump is fantastic. God damn, that sounds <laughs> like whiplash, girl. <laughs> Shit. So I was like in deep <laughs> depression and anger for like a I'm long funny. time. I'm sorry, but it's. <laughs> I wish everyone could see her face right now with her eyes like crossed and twirled together because imagine being in the middle of that. Like what? Am I taking crazy pills? Right I, w- I was burning from the inside. <laughs> Sorry, and funny. at the same time, I was like dealing with grief. So sure, that's sure, why sure. my emotions were very, very <laughs> complex. Oh, God, I would not switch places with you because what the fuck? Wow. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, that song, like, clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle. Like, how do you, how do you, what do you say? What do you say to each side? Or do you just not talk to anybody? It's just well, like, I actually, bitch, I need a nap. I ended up <laughs> writing. It, it took me about a week. I ended up writing like a long, long post on Facebook that kind of summarized a little bit mm-hmm. of what we talked about. Mm-hmm. It didn't go into that much detail. That frustration mm-hmm. um, about it, like a week after my grandmother died. Sure. Like I kind of, I was just, you know, it was keeping me up at night. I was just angry and sad yeah. and frustrated all the time. And grieving. Yeah, and so I, I wrote this like very long post on Facebook that that kind of summarized it because I felt like my husband has already heard me too much and and it needed to get out there. Yeah. Um, and so I posted it on Facebook. But I I mean, I don't know if that the right people have been that I want to reach have been reading it, but at least it it, it was. What did, tell me what it's you said. Because I didn't, I never go on Facebook, so I didn't see it. So a summarize or Mao wrote a bunch of theory. Yeah. In like 1937, when the uh, civil war, you know, the beginning of the civil war between, in China, um, between between uh, the Communist Party and the Nationalist Party, and the Nationalist Party were the com- the capitalists. Yeah, I mean, honestly. I wouldn't say that they... I've actually been reading a lot more about mm-hmm. this more recently um, because I also just wanted to learn more about sure. like exactly what happened. Yeah. I wouldn't... They weren't like going in, we are here to defend capitalism and that's why we're fighting with the communists. Mm-hmm. At that time, um, you know, early 
20th century China is like very complicated mm-hmm. because basically um, it was the they were fighting the Qing dynasty. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, you know, imperial China was falling, you know, um, and so there were actually like lots of different factions of right. warlords and everything. And so what I think rose it's important to-, to to make to so that people understand that like the the what we understand today as China did a unified country, a nationalist bloc did not exist at the beginning of the 20th century. There were like there were there were different not regions but regions that that had their own that were kind of it was kind of balkanized. Yeah, and it was basically like very chaotic everybody was right. fighting each other right. you know internally, uh, internally yeah. um the, you know they were you know tearing down the Qing dynasty government right. um and the two major forces that rose to the top were the communist mm-hmm. party and the nationalist party yes. that basically formed an alliance mm-hmm. to in, in an attempt to unify china because the japanese were the- well yeah and it's interesting because the yeah the J- japanese um uh first attempt to invade i think was in 1931 Mm -hmm. or 32 i think 31 Mm -hmm. um and the nationalist party actually took the brunt of fighting against the japanese um the the communist party uh set up uh, basically staged them, themselves in the rural areas mm-hmm. and largely avoided direct conflict ah. with uh, the Japanese mm-hmm. and they um, kind of uh, used what you know guerrilla tactics but they also just didn't really fight them whereas the Nationals party took the vast majority of the the casualties yeah, fighting see. against the Japanese because they would fight in the cities mm-hmm. and it was you know open warfare mm-hmm. after the end of the Second World War then the two parties start fighting each other uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and actually by that time which is a kind of a misconception with a, a lot of what leftists think by that time it was open warfare between um the communist party and the nationalist party yep, yep. and it was not guerrilla tactics like it was just all out you know open warfare mm. um so the communist party really their strength was that they built up from the grassroots mm-hmm. um, in the rural rural mm-hmm. areas, Peasants. they did the land reforms yep. where they took land back from uh, landowners and yep. redistributed it, which I thought was you know actually a pretty cool thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably one could argue one of Mao's great contributions to sure, communism sure. that that you know pre- previous to him didn't really exist. Right. Um, things got you know bloodier than I would want them to um but it still wasn't the worst (laughs) of his tenure um and then um the nationalist party they basically didn't really have much of an ideology Mm. and they were very much just a military group that used existing struck power structures mm-hmm. and existing warlords and like got alliances from like existing warlords and people with power yeah. in different regions of China. Of course, China is huge. Yeah. Um, and that's how they built their military. And as the communists started gaining power, the power national and po- power and popular support. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, basically the nationalist infrastructure started falling apart yep. because they didn't have the kind of grassroots yep. support. That's right. Um, and so they, they fled to Taiwan. Yep. Um, and they, however, after a bit started implementing, you know, democratic elections, yep. uh, whereas China still 
does not yeah. have democratic elections. So I would say, you know, yes, they had more of a capitalist tendency in, in the sense that they, they supported the elitist they yep. structure. Um, but I wouldn't say that it is, you know, the way that we look at America now, you know, with the capitalist ideolo- ideology, you know, mm-hmm. trying to fight, you know, mm-hmm. China, Cuba, you know, all these other countries. It wasn't really like a, a an economic, a conscious economic ideology. Here is where I have issue with the left just kind of, you know, glorifying Mao without looking at his legacy sure, critically. Sure, because, sure. you know, there was the you know, the ideals that he espoused to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as, you know, during the Civil War, as he was, um, you know, wanting to create a communist society. And then there was what actually happened, yeah. you know, between um, 1949 to until his death yeah. in, in 76. Mm-hmm. And and so, for example, we take like the the uh, land, land um, Reform. reforms, um they redistributed the land, but then, like within less than ten years, they basically reabsorbed the state, reabsorbed all of the land, and they started uh, large state farms. Yep, and that basically led to Millions horrible, of dying. disastrous, you know, agricultural practices. Do you think that it was because of the state's absorption? Uh, of the agricultural lands or Mao's ego got fucking away from him and he stopped like ignoring the the science and the math of agriculture in order to build him. You know what I mean? Like those are two separate things in my mind. Both because, okay, here's the the main issue I have is that when when you have one person that has absolute power, their ego definitely starts to take over. Um, And and basically for a long time after that, Mao was just trying to keep himself and the party in power. And that was like, you know, what he was obsessed with. And and which is what most, you know, all authoritarian authoritarian regimes are and including a lot of communist regimes. Um, And also when you run a government that's top down, you are not going to get you know, the uh, collaborative expertise from different sources. And so I think it was both like the way that the government was run that, you know, there are a lot of things like when you have these very um, arbitrary uh, goals, um, they were... They were Wait, impossible. To they achieve. were impossible to achieve. Yeah. People started just faking numbers, yep. um, and so and also, you know, it, there were like a handful of major crops that the state would um, would buy. So everyone, but everybody's just like you know growing those crops. Yep. Um, it just policy wise, and and actually, it's not even mentioned in my book, but I'm thinking like agriculturally and environmentally, it's mm-hmm. a very poor sure. decision, um, and. In the end, like people just starved because starved you know, to death, yeah, yeah, starved to death, By and, the tens and, of millions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like more, a lot more Chinese people starved to death than. Jews that were killed by Hitler in the Holocaust, you know, yeah. in, the Holocaust, you know. Um, in a shorter amount uh, shorter amount of time yeah because yeah. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. the Great Leap Forward is like when the the worst of the yeah. s- starvation happened yep. um, and it's interesting because you know people who are so called Maoists like who, who espouse to his theory on practice um, you know he talks about like basically having theory and then 
practice and then revisiting, you know, using the the real, praxis to, to inform your theory. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But then who is making that decision if it's just mm. that one person or five people at the top that mm-hmm. initially set out policy and every revision just mm. are in charge of tweaking it, yeah. you're still not going to have mm. a very well-informed mm. uh, policy, in my opinion. If you mm. are in, you know, in, in a, a government where you're not soliciting the opinion of, you know, a larger public where you're not having different experts. Sorry. I said, what does that sound like? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, you're, uh, I mean, it is like, I, I do see parallels between Trump and Mao. (laughs) Like, let me just say, I was was thinking more broadly, not just Trump, just the American government. Oh yeah. Yeah. uh But at least like, I mean, American democracy has a lot of problems. I mean, to to put it mildly, what do you think was useful in terms of either theory or practice of the communist revolution in China? Was there anything redeemable or was it all trash and it was all garbage and we should ne- nobody who calls themselves a leftist anywhere on the planet should even pay attention? Like what what was what was what is something that someone should or could take in like learn from or build upon or revisit i mean there are some things that i found interesting um that i don't know that i would want to have to the extent that they have did but everyone's life under the communist party was um under um what is it called like the work work units mm-hmm. um and I don't think that I would want society to be structured via work units, mm-hmm. which is the way that they have structured things. And also the the fact that you were basically assigned a career for mm-hmm. life by the government mm-hmm. and like that's what you did mm-hmm. and you had really no say in what you wanted to do with your life that I totally did not mm-hmm. <laughs> agree with. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the work unit guaranteed health care, guaranteed housing. Mm-hmm. Um, there was... Yeah, there were rations, although, like... During the Great it was not a lot of food. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was very limited. Um, But you had kind of... uh, And there was a lot of community being built Mm -hmm. around there. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, within... You basically lived and worked in a community, and there were, you know, activities, sports, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. There was still a a lot of hierarchy, I would say, within that system. Um, and, And, you know, basically, your comfort in life dependent on how close you were to the to party, the party. Yep. Uh, so it's not like there wasn't class there was still a class but at least like you know people had basic things like healthcare, housing yep. and like a sense of community yep. so I, I think that that is something that is worth um learning from mm-hmm. and after Mao died um you know China basically opened up and became yes. opened up to the free market became more much more of a capitalist society and right now it's basically capitalism to the extreme except that it's just run by an authoritarian yeah, central planning yeah centrally um, planned capitalism uh, mm. government is there anything else that you think from the revolution is I mean, worthy of revisiting or learning from or building yeah, on yeah i'd say learning upon? from i wouldn't you know i wouldn't want our society to be structured by the work units necessarily but mm-hmm. um 
also with land reforms, I thought it's it was interesting. You know, interesting. Uh, what do you mean by that? First of all, it, it's an, in a rural area, mm-hmm. um, so I don't, you know, I don't think it can be applied. It wasn't applied in cities, but you know, to basically redistribute the land so that it was more equitable and most people had a similar size of land. Mm-hmm. The way they did it is that the previous landowners ended up having much smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of land, and then the peasants had larger, mm-hmm. um, equally distributed lots of land. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I kind of want to see us what do you mean, that uh, with. Uh, well, I mean, with wealth, I definitely want to see us yeah. do that. Um, you know, I don't know how logistically it would work no, no, in, you don't in have an earth. But, yeah. but I think it's just the concept sure. of like taking what the really wealthy owners have yeah. and then redistributing it equally. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's very good thing to do. I mean, they, they had these whole like public hearings where they would basically like have the community, you know, lash out on mm-hmm. on different uh, people uh, who, you know, were home well, landowners or, uh, you know, kind of the college bourgeois like all all those people and and it it created a very hostile environment and you know a lot of them were executed you know summarily so no you know no real trial and so it became kind of like just ganging up on people Mm -hmm. and i mean eventually and this is not just with the land reforms but later on during greatly forward and and afterwards too is like a, a lot of people were executed without trial uh, through like torture, mm-hmm. false confessions through torture, mm-hmm. and um, at some point the party admitted themselves that they felt like the executions were really going overboard, like yeah. they were ex- executing too many people. And then I, Mao was like, "Okay, let's keep it to like 0.1 percent." I can't, I can't remember if it was like 0.1 percent or one percent. Keep the executions to a dull roar, please. Yeah, <laughs> but then the party people who were in the party party officials saw it as a quota oh god yeah and so they and so they started like there would be places where they would run out of people to execute and Mm -hmm. so they just started executing people who um had like defected you know they were part of nationalist party and then they defected and and they you know were promised that they wouldn't get retaliated against but Mm -hmm. then they still did because they started to meet these quotas yeah exactly um and so you know and i think a lot of this is like mao didn't really set out for things to turn out so disastrously Mm. but they really did so but do you so so is am i understanding you to say that your your um your conflicted views on the positives or 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 what the lessons that the left should learn from the communist revolution in china that a you have to you have to be very careful whenever you have a single charismatic leader around around which people coalesce because kind of the, the way power power works is that you know that person then becomes you know very into themselves their own ego and their ability to wield and reproduce their own power which isn't necessarily without checks is is not going to like redound to the benefit of the masses so that's one two we could learn from and build upon or iterate or experiment with the way that the work units 
operated. Not that there should necessarily be work units in the same way that there were during the revolution, but, you know, communities or organizing communities socially and providing for them their basic needs. Like that is a net positive. Um, and also like land reforms, like that is, that is something we should, we, we should probably learn about more, look at more deeply. However, in, in doing all of these things, you have to remember that if the, the, um, decision-making power is concentrated in the hands of very few and not it doesn't and it doesn't take into account you know everyone like input from from a broad base of people that could you know end up trending back into the direction of like things you don't that you didn't foresee or plan for that will actually hurt people more than it helps is yeah is that a reasonable I think you summation sum it up quite well mm -hmm. um there ultimate power is in lies with the people so you must bring them along you must you must show them the stakes and where they stand to benefit and how if we are to bring about a wholesale change of this society it will require you and it will require your belief your support your effort i can't do this without you yes mm -hmm. i think that was definitely their strength mm. i mean in the end the way that it was run it was still very much like through a top-down party sure. apparatus but like initially when they were organizing yeah. that that was like a key way to be able to get that's right um grassroots and people support hong kong was a british colony um until 1997 um and they, they handed it back over to China. There was a, a Sino-British joint declaration. Hong Kong was promised to be run under one country, two systems, which meant that basically Hong Kong was completely autonomous mm -hmm. other than they didn't have a military. Mm -hmm. um, but we had our own government, you know, uh, not democratically run completely. I'm going to get more into that. Mm -hmm. Hong Kong had its own currency, which is tied to the U.S. dollar. Mm -hmm. We have freedom of speech, free press, mm -hmm. free academia research all of that uh, very much like the values that of you know the western world and of course the capitalist the full capitalist economy fully capitalist full, full, full. yeah um can i say something yeah just really funny i my whole i was uh i think i was literally 32 years old before i understood like geographically where Hong Kong was. Like I had an understanding, my, my understanding from hearing about Hong Kong, it sounded so very separate from China. Da, da, da. I thought Hong Kong geographically was like Taiwan, like another small island out in the ocean. At least you didn't think it was Japan. No, 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 no. <laughs> I've, no. I've had so many people where I say like in college, I'm like, hey, I'm from Hong Kong. They're like, oh, I've always wanted to go to Japan. <laughs> You're like, like, actually, that's not what I said. <laughs> It's like Florida. It's like a, it's just, it's a little yep. peninsula on. So it's, it's wild to me to think that like there can be this, this idea of a completely separate governmental, financial, social organization on, it is, I mean, it's not, it's not considered mainland China, but it's, 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 it's like Florida. It's just a little, little, little yeah. dingly <laughs> thing on, on yeah. the mainland China. And I was just like, how the, how the fuck does that how do they think that that's going to be defended? It's not, I don't know. It's that, that still blows my mind that like, this is not considered mainland China, even though it is 
attached to the map. It is on the map. I don't that know, is a very mind. controversial issue. If you, it's if so you, wild to consider. <laughs> like, I would love to. Con- I would love for Florida to not be considered the United States, and they can do their own thing because they're weird. But it's just like. It's a t- it's right there. <laughs> like, what do you mean? You know, but when you've you've been a col- colony for a hundred years yeah. and there's been a border there, you know, right. it's like but that's what we respect. Yeah, I mean, like Alaska's, like right, you know. right. It's <laughs> not even a th- you're right, Hawaii. Yeah, you're right. It's yeah. not that, di- but it it's still blue because my friend was like, "What the fuck are you talking about? It's right there." I was like, "No," and I was like, "Show it to me on the map." <laughs> I was like, "Oh shit, it's right there. <laughs> it's right there." <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what was I gonna say? Oh uh, yeah, Hong Kong history. So you know, Hong Kong has been pretty. And I would say that also very importantly is that the people of Hong Kong really value things like you know free speech, sure. um, free press. You know, after the Tiananmen Square massacre, mm-hmm. like Hong Kong was you know the only place in in geographically Chinese region where you know. Uh, giant memorials with uh, you know, vigils with like tens or hundreds of thousands of people would gather. Mm-hmm. You know, in Victoria Park, like giant you know park in uh, in the center of the Hong Kong Island. You know, um, and and that that was legal. Whereas, like in, in China, it's completely censored. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, Hong Kong was after the handover. It was promised. Um to be run under one country two systems it said it was also promised to eventually um have full self-determination so a free and democratic promises backed by the joint just a gentleman's agreement like we we, yeah they signed it you know the two governments signed it i mean rip it up i mean what is i mean i'm saying what is what is keep for for a place that is geographically attached to mainland china what i'm not saying that the hong kong the people of hong kong should just throw up their hands but i'm saying like what it makes hong kong chinese people think that like these things have to be on it's right it's china you know what i mean I mean, a lot of people left uh during sure. you know the right handover. before the handover uh-huh. because they were like shit you know right this is the end you right, know we right. better leave um and then but then for the first like 20 I wouldn't say 20 10 years or so mm-hmm. things were kind of continuing as sure. normal in Hong Kong mm-hmm. you know there wasn't great drastic change the um, agreements were honored yes okay. more or less okay. um um there was one attempt in I think 2003 um of uh kind of drafting like national security legislation and mm-hmm. that prompted hundreds of thousands of people to go out on the streets and mm-hmm. so they actually withdrew those efforts mm-hmm. only to restart them yep. or only you know last year they just Beijing just topped out in in 20 2004 it was the Hong Kong government that was trying to draft the legislation mm-hmm. um and you know people went down into the streets and they they stopped but last year um so I guess I'm, I'm jumping ahead um but you know, last year, uh, Beijing, you know, the, the Chinese yeah. uh, um, government uh, just basically topped down, rammed down this um, national security law mm-hmm. that would basically was had extremely broad language. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically anyone who has attempts to subvert the government is 
collaborating with foreign forces mm-hmm. um, could, you know, be charged again, you know, for uh, violating this national security law sure. uh, is basically, you know, kind of a, a, a carte blanche for them to just, you know, arrest anyone. And, and the court, uh, very important too, is Hong Kong has had an independent judiciary, mm-hmm. which China does not have. Sure. Um, it, but then for the national security law, they basically handpicked particular judges yep. that were um, in charge of, of you know, uh, judging over this these cases. And so it's basically a scam. Mm-hmm. But kind of there has been uh, attempts at implementing democracy in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um And that in 2014 accumulated to the Umbrella Movement or what is now known as the Umbrella Movement Mm -hmm. where people um, occupied the streets. It was actually influenced by Occupy Wall Street uh, inspired. And they were called Occupy Central. People occupied basically the highways highways Mm -hmm. near the government area for 79 days. Um, And at that time, there were talks of implementing, you know, uh, democratic elections to elect the chief executive, which is, you know, kind of equivalent to president or, you know, the person with the highest power. Mm-hmm. Um, but then China wanted to pre-screen all the candidates and pre-approve all the candidates, ah. which means it's not a real democracy right. because, you if know. They to, if, if they get, Beijing gets a puppet. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so that led to the big protests. Um, and that effort was basically withdrawn. Mm-hmm. Um because the people of Hong Kong felt like it was better to not have democracy and fake democracy in name Mm -hmm. than, you know, um, yeah, it's better to have like just not no democracy and call it what it is than to have fake, yeah, democracy in name only. Mm. Um, but then, and then in 2019, um, there was an extradition bill. There were huge protests. At one point, two million people were out on the streets of a city of 7.5 million. That's crazy. A quarter of the population was on the streets. And remember, too, that, like, for the majority of protests in Hong Kong, large protests like that, they're extremely peaceful. Yeah. Like, super, super peaceful. Um, But then, you know, a, a year later, basically... China implemented the national security law and they basically outlawed any sort of peaceful demonstrations. Mm. Um, And when a a protest is deemed illegal, the police show up, riot gear, tear gas, all that, and Mm. things kind of get hairy, you know? And so here is the other very frustrating thing. People in Hong Kong have been very desperate. Mm -hmm. They've been looking to the West for help. Mm -hmm. They've been looking to the US and the UK Mm -hmm. for help. And people in Hong Kong have been seeing Trump as like this savior because he is so far the only US president, the the US president that has stood up most against the Chinese government vocally. Uh I, I think it's really important to highlight like, the values democracy is, is an important value sure. um because i think as i'm arguing with leftist friends you know they seem to take democracy for granted and sure like we don't have a functional democracy here yeah, hell no uh-huh. but you don't get 
arrested for simply speaking your mind like criticizing the government you know like most of the time most of the time yeah, like because yeah, yeah. i'd be up here saying fuck nancy pelosi every episode and ain't nobody came knocking at my door and we have academic freedom here yeah. like you know universities can do research and, and so publish what? critical analysis yeah. yeah you know funding and yeah, all that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. but like they're not gonna get jailed sure, <laughs> you know sure, like sure. they might get they might get locked out of the academy and <laughs> lose their ability to like make a living but which i don't know is is maybe not as bad as jail but still pretty bad but to your point i take your point yeah your point. so activists in hong kong you know have in light of what has been happening there have been looking you know to the u.s government mm -hmm. as a model when in fact they're not seeing the the failings of the, the american capitalist yes. system yeah and the left in the U.S. Mm -hmm. kind of in seeing this. the failings of the U.S. capitalist system are really romanticizing, you the know, the yeah, the Chinese Communist um, Revolution and mm -hmm. all of that. And so, I think it's important for both sides to look at both systems very critically right. and find a way to contextualize the 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 contextualize and critique the wins and the failures. Yes. Like, and you have to do that kind of critically cri critically and neutrally like dispassionately is what the word i'm trying to look for yeah yeah, yeah. all right all right who's gonna be the first one to give me a hard time about being too tough on mal <sighs> i'm ready <laughs> All right, back to our regularly scheduled program, picking back up with Claire's story on the next episode.